Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Kyle Clay Richards, and welcome to Underdog Mentality. It's the sports podcast where we tackle unique topics by looking between the numbers at the human side of the game. What have you guys been up to? Well, I hope it's been positive and, and being kind to people because that's always good around the Thanksgiving holiday. But, uh, you know, I've been kind of all over the place. I was supposed to have Kenneth from Symbol, the CEO of Symbol, on the show a couple weeks ago. But I kind of came down with like another sinus infection deal. And, you know, I wasn't about to talk for 30 minutes plus uh, with that going on. So I had to reschedule. And then when the holidays rolled around, I was like, you know what? Let's just push it till after the holiday. And now that we are, you know, a week after the holiday, I wanted to get an episode under my belt before I had a guest on for the first time. uh, So I can come up with a really good episode for him and and some good questions so that he can answer some questions for y'all. Uh, kind of talk to you about Symbol and his philosophy on sports and his beliefs on sports. Um, I think it should be a great episode. And you know, I would be lying if I said I didn't finally hook up my PlayStation and start playing some video games. I hit a point over the you know the time off where I was like, I need to put this thing together because uh, you know the the cold weather is driving me crazy. I I just need to have something to ease my mind in the evenings, and so that is video games. And so I plugged it in, started playing a little bit. And uh, trying not to let it take over my life. It really hasn't yet. It's become more of a part of my evening routine, if anything. So I can't really complain. Speaking of routines, I did start going to the gym. Although I have skipped more than half the times uh, you know, since I started going, I, I still feel pretty good about myself that I'm actually getting up super early in the morning, like 6 a.m. Uh, every so often to go play basketball for about an hour till I get into the groove of things, get in shape a little bit more. And then eventually get to lift in some more weights and whatnot. So pretty stoked about that. But, you know, Thanksgiving was great. I uh, had the, the chance to spend time with a lot of different people, you know, friend groups and family groups. Usually on Thanksgiving Day, go out to my grandma's house, spend time with some family out there, have a lot of good food. And then uh, the next day had a small sort of Friendsgiving. It wasn't really a Friendsgiving because we didn't have turkey and ham and, and all that stuff. But we did have just like, you know, really good meats and, and just good food in general. So no complaints there either and then saturday watched some college football in the morning had maybe a couple too many mimosas uh (laughs) and then went to my mom's house and had another thanksgiving there so three days back to back to back just packed full of food and friends and family Uh, it was a really good time so I, i really enjoyed myself i hope you guys did as well and on that note speaking of traditions you know thanksgiving traditions and holidays Uh, I think I want to talk about traditions in sports. I think there's a lot there that we could cover. And then uh, maybe the flip side of that coin, which is like, you know, things that aren't so traditional that are kind of breaking the mold of of sports in different ways. Uh, Let's just jump right in. To kick off talking about tradition in sports, why not talk about the one that we had the pleasure of enjoying this last week with Thanksgiving around, and that's NFL on Thanksgiving. For those of you who don't know, there's always two teams that play on Thanksgiving, and it's the Detroit Lions and the Dallas Cowboys. The idea is that they both host a game on Thanksgiving Day, so there's at least two games. That's been going on for years, since like 1966 or something like that. And then back in 2006, they introduced a third game, and they try to usually make that a divisional matchup so that it's a little bit more interesting. It's a kind of a playoff indicator. This year was not a playoff indicator as far as a divisional game, but it was the Bills versus the Saints. So when it comes to football on Thanksgiving, the tradition for me is I literally go to my grandma's house, kind of make small talk with all my family members there, 
and then pretty much just go chill in the living room and watch football until it's time to eat food. When it comes to those things, I really do wish I was a little more social, but I just kind of, I think the pandemic has really made me a little bit of a social anxiety freak. Like I'm, I'm more of an introvert now than I, than I am an outrovert. Whoa, that's not a word. Extrovert. There it is. <laughs> Got it. Uh, but yeah, I think because of the pandemic, I'm a lot less social and uh, maybe there's no excuse, but I did find myself just hanging out in the living room watching football all day. The first game was the Bears and Lions. That one was kind of a, de- a defensive matchup, I guess you could say. Ended up being the Bears winning 16-14 over the Lions at home. And then the next game was the Raiders-Cowboys, and we have a lot of Cowboys fans in my family. And that one was a little more interesting because the score was close most of the time. But, man, there were so many penalty flags in that game. It was so frustrating to watch. Me and my brother were kind of discussing this, and it's almost like you you couldn't really enjoy the closeness of the matchup because there were so many dang penalties. Like, there was one every other play. It just took away the excitement from the game. And then there was the Bills and Saints, and that was just a blowout for, you know, Thursday night football, 31-6. to Josh Allen has had four touchdowns, 23-28, 260 yards. Very efficient week for him. But not only is it just tradition to watch football on Thanksgiving, but they, they have their own traditions within the games. At the end of each game, the best players of that game get turkey legs, and they interview them at the end. You, it used to be just one player comes over and gets to enjoy a turkey leg, but I think they tried to make it more of a community thing and get at least one or two players in there. I think one of the games I saw this week had three players coming over for turkey legs, and there was a, a video of one guy who took way too big of a bite, and when it came to him to answer some questions, and he's like trying to talk, and he's like, I, I took too big of a bite with the, with the food in his mouth. is hilarious. And the list really goes on for different traditions that are around the NFL. One of the big ones in football in general is the Gatorade shower. You know, a team has a really good win. Coach gets a shower, Gatorade. Uh, It's usually like they're trying to sneak around, try to avoid it. But then when they get got, it's always pretty great. Another one is like, you know, some teams have their own tradition. Like the Pittsburgh Steelers have the terrible towel, uh, the Lambeau leap uh, for the Green Bay Packers, uh, the 12s, the Seattle 12th man. You know, that's kind of their thing, being the underdog, having that underdog mentality. Hey, shout out to the name of the podcast. Oh, ho, ho. Um, and then obviously Thanksgiving Day. But then you have other strange traditions, kind of like the Bills Mafia. That's more of a cult. You know, I think that's probably the accurate way to describe it. It's like, how crazy can you be at the tailgate? That's what the Bills Mafia is. You see people doing flips onto, you know, picnic tables and trying to destroy things and light things on fire. It, it's just chaos absolute chaos and now to move on to the nba in in my research and kind of thinking about this there's not really a ton of traditions in the nba that i can think of i'm sure teams have their own unique things like certain chants at their stadiums and whatnot but man there's really not a lot the only one i can think of is nba basketball on christmas day and really the idea with that is just to pair up a handful of teams that are supposed to be great contenders in both conferences and throw them against each other and see what happens. So for example, this year, there are four games, first one starting at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and it goes all the way to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's a late game on the East Coast. Wow. Uh, but you got Boston Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks, two of the top teams in the East, and then you've got Golden State Warriors and Phoenix Suns, two of the top teams in the West, literally the top two teams in the West, and they just played last night, and the Suns actually ended up beating them despite how ridiculous Steph Curry is. And then you've got a good East-West matchup between the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers. You know, go Lakers. And then the last game of the night ends with Dallas Mavericks and the Utah Jazz, two top contending West teams 
that uh, you know might surprise you down the road. Oh, and there is one more game that the Google search I did did not show on the preview screen. Uh, the very first game that happens is actually the Atlanta Hawks against the New York Knicks in Madison Square Garden starting at 12 p.m. Eastern time. So five games, you know, 10 teams playing on Christmas Day. That's pretty awesome. I think a tradition that goes hand-in-hand hand with NBA basketball on Christmas Day is the shoes. I think the Christmas Day shoes that players wear, it's always a fun thing to look out for. I I remember Kobe's iconic Grinch green shoes. Uh, it's like the green shoes with the, the scales. I think it's like the Kobe 10 or 11. I don't even remember. But definitely one of his uh, latest models. And those were pretty sweet. I remember that being pretty cool. But yeah, beyond that, I feel like the NBA is full of more like ritualistic things like um, players' pregame rituals like Tim Duncan hugging the basketball or LeBron throwing the powder in the air or, you know, like people's free throw routines and the things they have to do for good luck. Like I remember I would think of Jeff Hornacek, how he would dribble twice very slowly and then he would touch his cheek and then he would shoot. It's like, wow, how how is that your your routine? But then again, me as a bowler, you know, super duper athlete over here, um, I have a strange like hop in my step on my approach and everybody asks me about it. Like, where did that come from? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's from playing so much basketball and going up for layups off my left foot that it helps me like focus in. No idea, but it's a thing. And now for the last sport that I want to talk about for traditions, it's baseball and the MLB. Uh, honestly, I was drawing super duper blanks. I'm not a huge baseball fan. I don't really have a solid team that I follow. Not super passionate about it. Um, I normally just watch postseason baseball and even still not religiously. So the things that I know about are, you know, seventh inning stretch. That's something you do at every single game. Uh, I mean the national anthem, but that's pretty much every sport, you know, NFL, NBA has that. I guess that is a tradition for big events that are on the national stage. I feel like opening day in MLB is a really big thing because it's like the 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 beginning of a super long season, you know, 160 plus games, and they're like, "Yay, sp- oh, you know, spring springtime's here! It's time for baseball!" And they're the catchers and pitchers are reporting to camp, and everybody gets all jazzed up and excited. Well, and you know that I'm thinking about it a little bit more. I there are more things that are pretty key to baseball as far as traditions go. Another one is the ceremonial first pitch. They always bring out some kind of iconic celebrity or cultural figure to throw out the first pitch. Like these, they usually have like current, past, or or potentially future presidents uh, come out and throw the first pitch. So that's always pretty cool. The food at baseball games is always pretty sweet. Like you know, dogs, hot dogs, nachos, ice cream, beer. Um, all the good things. Cracker Jacks? Dude, that's an old school one right there. I guess another interesting one is when you throw an opponent's home run back onto the field as if to say, like, screw you. We don't want this, you know. <laughs> uh, most people just keep it. But I, I think it's mostly the food. And beyond that, it's like different stadiums have their own things, like Sweet Caroline at uh, Fenway Park. You know, everywhere is different, and I haven't been to every baseball field so give me a break <laughs> but one thing that is tradition for all sports is all-star game and all-star weekend and all-star activities uh, i would say that the mlb has some of the more exciting ones most namely the the home run derby that is an iconic all-star event i remember when i was a kid watching barry bonds get up there and smash some home runs 
Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. That was always a fun head-to-head matchup. So yeah, All-Star Weekend for baseball is always a good time. And then you've got NBA All-Star Weekend, which is like, that's always a lot of fun too. The skills challenge, three-point shootout, dunk contest, celebrity game, All-Star game, sophomores and juniors game. They have a lot of things going on. And I think here in the near future, it's going to be in Salt Lake City. And I kind of want to try to get tickets for everything, even though uh, I don't have the money for it. But as soon as they go on sale, I'm going to be shopping around. I want to go so bad. And then for football, I mean, football is kind of lame because it's the Pro Bowl. And the Pro Bowl happens like the week before the Super Bowl. And so players who are on the best teams in the league going to the Super Bowl aren't able to play. And these other players just go and play in the Pro Bowl. And that's all they have for like an all-star activity. I miss when they used to have things like the quarterback challenge where they would have targets rolling across the field and the quarterbacks have to throw passes and try to hit the target in the bullseye. Uh, the long toss, the long pass by quarterbacks, things like that. That was all really fun. And I believe there was even a video game made around that. It was on like a, the Sega and they had quarterback challenge. It was one of the games. Me and my friend would play the crap out of that thing. So needless to say, there's a lot of sports traditions out there. I know I missed a ton of them. If you feel like I missed one that you that needs to be mentioned, please tweet it at me or send me a DM or something. Uh, my handle's on all outlets. It's kyleclay.com, spelled out. Or you can even just reach out to Abstract Sports. Go to abstractsports.com slash contact. Send me an email via the contact form. Tell me what I missed, and I will bring it up in the podcast next week. But after the break here, we're going to jump into... The question that I gave you in the previous episode, I'm going to answer that one and then come up with a good question for you for next week and try to gear it towards uh, Kenneth since he'll be on the episode uh, and Symbol and uh, see what we can get out of him too. So, all right, let's take a quick time out. All right, everybody, it's time for me to answer the question from the previous episode and the question was this. What team do you think is not the best team right now, but maybe a few years down the road might be a lot better? And if you read the most recent article on the Abstract Sports website, you might know my answer. And my answer is the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, if you look at them right now, they are uh, number nine in the Eastern Conference with a record of 13 and 11. And honestly, I feel like they're playing a lot better than that for such a young team. Where they sit now, they're just outside of making the playoffs, but they are in the hunt. Obviously, the, the season is still young. There's only four, what 24 games played. We're about a little over a quarter of the way through, so not a lot can be read into about that. But even though they are in the hunt for the playoffs and they could possibly make the playoffs, I think they're going to get destroyed in the playoffs because they're just too young. They don't have that veteran leadership and that sort of winning mentality yet they just have they have Lamelo ball it's his second year there miles bridges another young player uh really kind of a young team but then they have gordon hayward who's kind of a their quiet veteran leader but they also have miles Plumley, another big veteran guy they have a lot of parts that can play well together and they already have great team chemistry you can see with uh the way Lamelo and miles bridges are playing uh, Mello tossing lobs up to him all the time, and they have this crazy secret handshake. Team chemistry is such a big deal, and that was actually a big part of the last episode that I did. And so I, I think they have the parts, and as long as everybody's happy, I think the Hornets could be a really good team in a few years. Uh, and I remember actually watching uh, an episode on somebody else's podcast 
where they were interviewing Kenneth, the you know the CEO of Symbol, who's going to be on the show next week. Uh, one of the things that he said really stood out to me, and he's like, if you're going to invest in a team, he's he, you know obviously he insider trading trading he cannot invest in Symbol because he's he knows the data, he put it together, so he can't invest. But he's like, what I would look at is what who has a great organization. Those are the teams that you want to put money into because you know they're going to bounce back from a, a bad season or two, rebuild, and come back stronger. Uh, going off of that, you know that Michael Jordan is kind of at the helm for the Charlotte, Charlotte Hornets, and in the past he hasn't been all that successful with the Charlotte Bobcats, but I do feel like this is a different kind of team. The chemistry's higher. There's a lot of excitement in Charlotte. Um, that's the team who I'm going to say is not all that great right now, but it's going to be a heck of a lot better in about you know, two to three years when LaMelo can get a little more experience. And now for the question for next episode where we will have Kenneth Giles, the CEO of Symbol, on the show. So here's the question that we'll ask him, and I'm also asking you. So feel free to submit your answers. Just go to abstractsports.com contact and submit your answer there. All right, the question is, what do you think is going to be the next revolutionary thing in sports? That's kind of a vague thing. It can be literally about any sport, but think about it. We've seen unorthodox quarterback play with you know Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson being able to run the ball, throw the ball off balance across their body, things like that. That's pretty revolutionary in today's game. Uh, in the NBA, you see people like Steph Curry breaking video games by shooting the ball, shooting the lights out. Uh, and then in baseball, you got like Shohei Otani, who's a pitcher, you know, a great pitcher and also a home run slugger, uh, something you don't see all the time. What do you think is going to be the next revolutionary thing in sports and why? Uh, and so that's a first part question for Kenneth. The second part for Kenneth, I'm going to ask him is going to be, uh, what makes symbol so revolutionary? What makes it different from all the other sports uh, sort of gambling online games out there today. You know, you've got Symbol, you've got the Fox Sports Pick Six with Terry Bradshaw, you've got Daily Fantasy Sports with FanDuel and DraftKings. Um, I feel like this is a question that he gets all the time, but I think it's a good one for him to answer to kick off the second segment of the next episode. And I cannot wait to have him on. It's going to be a great one. Okay, let's get to the second half of this episode here. So that question for next episode for y'all to answer is a good precursor for this segment because I want to talk about revolutionary players in sports, um, you know, from history, but also currently. So let's take a look at some of those guys and girls. So, I mean, think about, uh, I'm going to start with basketball because that's the easiest one for me to think of off the top of my head right now. Michael Jordan, he revolutionized what it meant to be a superstar, to be on the national stage and be scrutinized by the media. He was like, one of the, the biggest icons of any era ever in any sport. What's crazy to me is that's not even really all that debatable. I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, his whole Gatorade commercial thing that was, I want to be like Mike, uh, that was iconic. And he literally inspired several generations of new basketball players and, and, and people from all different kinds of walks of life to want to be like Mike. They wanted to idol. They idolized him. I did as a child. You know, when I was like six or seven, I noticed that he was great, and it's probably because of Space Jam. He was the best in that movie, obviously, because it's Michael Jordan. Of course, he's the star of the show. But um, even I idolized Jordan at a, at a young age, not even knowing what he had done in his career at that point. 
And I think you can fast forward a little bit back in 96, 97, when Kobe Bryant came in the league, he was 18 years old. And I feel like that was a revolutionary part of the game where they're pulling players straight out of high school and skipping college uh, because they're just that talented. There was, it was pretty obvious they were going to be a major talent in the NBA at the professional level. And he ended up being that, obviously. But Kobe was the king of hard work. Like he, He's all about outworking you and studying you to find out how he can beat you. And at the, all at the same time, he's pretty much just carbon copying Michael Jordan's moves throughout his entire career. Like MJ had the the fadeaway, Kobe completely copied that from him. But obviously, his game's a little bit different. He didn't have the hands that Michael Jordan had, but Kobe was super athletic. I mean, MJ was athletic too. Don't get me wrong, but his game was just that much different. And he he put a twist on Michael Jordan's game that wasn't there for him. So you kind of have the OG. Uh, revolutionary basketball player, uh, the all-around good player. Then you have the player who's a mastermind at copying another player's moves and and using them to his advantage, and then just using hard work and work ethic to outsmart you and, and just whoop you. And then you have a player like LeBron James who comes in, also at 18 out of high school from Akron, Ohio. Young kid, very athletic, had crazy hops coming out of high school. A lot of hype around this guy. Concerns for him moving coming into the league were his shooting ability. He's kind of squashed those over time. But I think LeBron kind of matches Michael Jordan in some ways as far as like his impact off the court and what he's done there. Uh, he's idolized because he came out of high school, out of a, a rough bring, upbringing, uh, you know, raised by a single mom, and and he put his mind to what he wanted to do, and he came out of it, and because of that. He gives back to the area that he grew up in. He even came up with a school, the I Promise School in Akron, Ohio. Like he did things that Kobe never did, um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean like LeBron's approach on making an impact was just different from Kobe's. Kobe was all about the mentality and the culture and kind of teaching people about it. Uh, and you know, he got his obviously he got an Oscar for his animated short called Dear Basketball totally revolutionary like not a lot of sports people are willing to step out of out of their comfort zone like that and want to do that but that was Kobe's mind frame that's what he wanted to do and while that has an impact off the court and not really related to basketball in you know the the most literal of senses but LeBron he really makes an impact through philanthropy and giving back to his community and finding a finding a way to impact people in more ways than just sports um, but he uses his skill and his abilities in basketball to kind of be the platform that helps him talk about those issues that are very important to him. And we all know that he's also very social with uh, civil rights movements and th- things like that. Um, uh, wearing the prominent I Can't Breathe shirts a few seasons ago. Uh, you know, obviously supporting all of those things. And I think a voice like that, it, it's not that often that somebody on that kind of stage is willing to put themselves out there like that because it can hurt their image. But he just doesn't care. He says what he thinks. He tweets what he thinks. If you follow him on him on Twitter, he says some pretty crazy things sometimes. Um, but he is definitely revolutionary in his own right. And then getting back to a player in the NBA who is just revolutionary because of skill. Like, look at Stephen Curry. This dude is insane. Right now, the, the Warriors, I think, are 18-3 and because they just lost to the Suns last night. But this guy shoots the ball unlike anybody else in the league. I saw a stat a few nights ago when they were playing a game where 
He's played about half the number of games that Ray Allen has played. Ray Allen leads the NBA. He has the NBA record for number of three-pointers made in a career. Steph Curry's played just over half the number of games that Ray Allen has played, and he was only like 83 pointers away from beating him. That is insane. I mean, I've read articles that talk about how his shooting drills where you have to get so many makes to be done with your workout instead of considering like a, you know, a bank shot, a make or a roll off the rim, a make makes for him are just nothing but net. So he has to get so many, nothing but nets from each spot on the floor where he is doing his drill for that's bonkers to me. That's, that's literally just like, that's kind of like the Kobe aspect, like outworking somebody. Cause the more you do that, the more you get, you're going to be able to do that better. But at the same time, that's just a different kind of innate ability to shoot the ball consistently, efficiently, accurately, with precision. Like everything he does with shooting the ball is nuts. And sometimes he has so many un- he has unorthodox shots too, and he he makes a lot of those because he puts those into his game time drills uh, or like you know real speed drills. Like yeah, I'm gonna shoot off balance sometimes, like off one foot, uh, turning around and shooting pretty quickly, quick release. So. He's a good example of somebody that's a, a combination between like a Michael Jordan and a Kobe Bryant in a way where they have this crazy skill set, but they also have this insane work ethic where they can be even more perfect than they were before, you know, the day before. And that, that just blows my mind. And there are so many debates in, in basketball, I feel like, about who's the most, who's the best player, who's the greatest of all time. I, I say that I've said this a million times, but I'm a firm believer in the fact that there's never going to be a greatest of all time because you can't compare across eras. They can't play each other, schedule difficulty, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. I've mentioned it several, several times, but there are other ways you, you can compare players like Shaq is a revolutionary player in the sense of size and his dominance. Giannis Anadokounmpo is another one of those players who has size and dominance, but he also has speed and dribbling ability and shooting ability, Anthony Davis is another one of those players too. But I think really the two main players in the NBA that I look at are Steph Curry and LeBron James. One being impactful off the court, uh, but also on the court, obviously. And then Steph Curry, who just shoots the ball, lights out every single time he's on the floor. And I realized I mostly turned this segment into basketball, but just really quickly thinking about revolutionary players in football, like Tom Brady. I mean, he's mastered the drive down the field and score in the last couple of minutes to put you out of your misery kind of move by just short, efficient passes, not throwing anything over the middle, nothing risky, not taking any shots, just doing what you know how to do and doing it perfectly every single time. That's pretty dang cool. But I already mentioned in the Q&A segment earlier that there are some players coming in the league these days that are just different. They're built different, but they're not like a Brett Favre where they're just like all arm strength and passing it's like Russell Wilson can outrun linemen, like very elusive, evasive. Lamar Jackson's the same way, extremely athletic. Um, and you also have players like Kyler Murray, very similar to that. Jalen Hurts is kind of like that. And Patrick Mahomes is like a magician with the football. I mean, he he throws some balls so unorthodox, like complete no looks, sidearm, diving to the side. Like like there's the Air McNair where you jump up and throw the ball. Then there's like the dive and the dive and throw from Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> uh, so pretty real revolutionary stuff there. And I mentioned Shohei Otani and the MLB being a pitching slugger. Uh, I've talked about another one of those who's up and coming for the Cincinnati Reds, uh, Hunter Green. He's a very young dude, maybe like 20, 21 years old. Uh, 
he's going to be a talent in the MLB as soon as he can get his reps in and up to the point where he can be a starter for that team. So looking forward to that because I have an autographed ball and, you know, that could turn into some money. Just kidding. I'll probably hold on to that for the memory. Thinking about revolution in sports and life, it's really crazy because if you think about it, we always get to a point of growth where something's going to change. You know, like when the internet came out, that was a monumental point in history that changed the course of culture forever. And like in sports, I feel like civil rights movements that sort of uh, infiltrate the sports arena is another interesting revolution within sports where it's kind of using sports as a platform to get a message out and uh, try to speak about the wrongs that are happening in the world. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, what sports are going to do to revolutionize society? Is it going to be that? Is it going to be the civil rights that kind of infiltrate the sports arena and it, it amplifies the message and these leagues start to take on to these things and, and really pushing the message on those because it's important to the athletes, but also it's important to the masses who follow those sports? I mean, I could see that being a thing, but that's a little bit out there. What do you think would be a, a, a crazy revolutionary thing that sports can provide society? I mean, it's it's a very big question to ask, but that's what I'm going to leave you with here is a cliffhanger because I don't know, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, so I just want to say thank you so much to listening to me talk again for episode ten of the Underdog Mentality podcast. If you liked anything about this episode, feel free to subscribe on your favorite platforms. It could be Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, you name it. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find this show. Just look for Abstract Sports Podcast. It'll pop right up and uh, listen to the recent episodes. But you can also find the, the brand on social media. Just do a search for Abstract Sports as the handle on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Those are the three main outlets. I plan on getting more and more active on those moving forward. Uh, you can also follow me, your boy, Kyle Clay Richards. My handle on Twitter and Instagram is kyleclay.com. Uh, reach out to me, send me a DM with a question or anything, and maybe I'll talk about it on the show. Um, I really appreciate you guys listening. Please keep tuning in every week, especially next week where we're going to have the CEO of Symbol, the sports market exchange, Kenneth Giles, on the show. It's going to be a great one. I'm going to have some good questions for him and hopefully make it a little bit informal, very conversational. Uh, it's not going to be so scripted and, and – uh, you know, so it, it'll be a lot. It'll be a lot of fun. Make sure you tune in. Thank you all for listening. I'll catch you all in the next one.